Hey everybody and welcome into episode 84 of Jake's Take. I am Jake Heller, pleased to be joining you guys once again. Hope everybody had a wonderful Thanksgiving with their loved ones and families, I certainly did. And also enjoyed the NFL Thanksgiving triple header that we've become accustomed to since 2006. Of course, as we all know, the Detroit Lions at 12.30, the Dallas Cowboys at 4.30, then of course, the night game at 8.20 on NBC usually varies who the opponent is every year. But I appreciate you guys tuning in once again. I thank you for all of your support. We're going to be recapping those three games on Thanksgiving here in just a little bit and then dive into the rest of Week 12 in the National Football League. So, this past Thursday on Thanksgiving, just a little after 12.30 Eastern Time at Ford Field, the Detroit Lions hosting the Chicago Bears, and I guess you could say the biggest storyline going into the game was the uncertainty of one Matt Nagy the head coach of the Chicago Bears since 2018, and of course the 2018 NFL Head Coach of the Year for that matter, when he guided the Chicago Bears to a 12-4 and record and the NFC North Division Championship. Then of course we all remember in the wildcard game against the Philadelphia Eagles, the double doink, Cody Parkey when he missed that field goal, and the subsequent unacceptable death threats that followed. I guess you could say the Matt Nagy era with the Chicago Bears I guess the one word that comes to mind is, two words come to mind. One of them would have to be inconsistency when you think 12-4 and in 2018, 8-8 eight and eight in 2019. Then, of course, last year sneaking in to the playoffs as the first ever seventh seed in the NFC as a wild card. And that embarrassing, I mean embarrassing loss to the New Orleans Saints, 21-9, which ended up being the final win of Drew Brees' career. But the Bears offense, really, Jim McMahon said a long time ago, the Bears offense, it's the most boring offense in the entire National Football League. And that's going back decades. But I guess you could say during the Matt Nagy era, the one thing that has remained consistent has been really, I guess you could say, the pedestrian play at quarterback when he had Mitch Trubisky. Then, of course, Mitch and the Chicago Bears, they parted ways this offseason, Mitch signed to be Josh Allen's backup in the Buffalo Bills. Obviously got some got some playing time on Thursday night when they blew out the New Orleans Saints 31-6. But my point is, just a couple days before this game, there were rumors going around that the Chicago Bears were going to be firing Matt Nagy after the Thanksgiving game on Thursday. Of course, the Chicago Bears themselves, after starting the season 3-2, and two, losing five in a row, and of course losing one of them in controversial fashion to the Pittsburgh Steelers, that Monday night game on November 8th, 29-27, and all the questionable calls, I guess you could say, at the end of that game. But that was the rumor that was really, really heating up. It was on Tuesday that Matt Nagy was going to be fired after the game on Thanksgiving against the Detroit Lions. And of course, as we all know, trading all the way up to the 11th pick, trading with the New York Giants back in April to acquire Justin Fields, quarterback out of Ohio State. And the controversy, I guess you could say, starting Andy Dalton week one against the Los Angeles Rams on Sunday Night Football and how pedestrian they looked and really not putting Justin Fields under center until a week later when Andy Dalton was injured against his former team, the Cincinnati Bengals. You hear all the reports that, um, you hear all the reports that the McCaskies, that they really forced it upon Matt Nagy to be starting Justin Fields to name him the permanent starter in week five when really he wanted to stick with Andy Dalton. I mean, just really so many 
issues with the Chicago Bears with Khalil Mack being lost for the season. And then, of course, Roquan Smith being injured on Thursday against the Lions. I mean, it re- it's really, really been such a difficult season for the Chicago Bears. And it was really looking like the Detroit Lions, 0-9-1. Who could ever forget that tie against the Pittsburgh Steelers? As Sean Rosansky reminded me on, on Thursday during the game how absurd it was that the Steelers tied with the Lions. And especially at the beginning of that game when Jared Goff, after missing last week against the Cleveland Browns, coming back and throwing a 39-yard bomb to Josh Reynolds for a touchdown, former obviously former Los Angeles Rams themselves. And, I mean, really, really looking like... Detroit was finally on their way to that first win of the season, their first in the Dan Campbell era. But Andy Dalton, I mean, really, really looked like the Andy Dalton of old, I guess you could say, throwing for 317 yards. And, I mean, we know Chicago Bear quarterbacks that they are not known for big games like that. I mean, granted, it was the Detroit Lions. But sure enough, a 52-yard bomb to Daryl Mooney. Then, of course, the the touchdown to Jimmy Graham. But it was still a low-scoring game, and especially when the Lions lost their running back, DeAndre Swift, with a shoulder sprain, having to rely on Jamal Williams. And, I mean, really, Jared Goff just, just looking pedestrian, I guess you could say. I mean... Yeah, I know he had the two touchdowns. One of them, of course, was to TJ Hawkinson, my starting tight end in fantasy football. But to be 21-25 to for 171 yards and two touchdowns, that's really nothing to write home about. And of those 25 passes thrown, eight of them behind the line of scrimmage, 12 of them between 0 and 9 yards, and five beyond 10. You know, obviously, I think the Detroit Lions, I think, as Brad Keselowski alluded to after the game was over, not only are they... Another loss closer to that number one pick in the 2022 NFL Draft, but they're definitely going to need a quarterback after trading away Matt Stafford, after swapping himself and Jared Goff. I mean, Jared has shown that he's clearly not the answer, and he was a system quarterback under Sean McVay, 0-16-1. 0-16-1 without Sean McVay as your head coach. So, I mean, really, it was it was a low-scoring game. It was an ugly game. And then, of course... As usual, the Detroit Lions, once again, being in position, being being a, a scrappy team like that, and the way that Dan Campbell, I mean, really, the way that Dan Campbell just butchered the clock there at the very end when Chicago had the ball, using up all those timeouts, and then, uh, then of course, being flagged 10 times for 67 yards. I mean, it, it's just, it just blows your mind. So sure enough, the Chicago Bears, they kicked the game-winning field goal, and escaped with a win, 16-14 over the 0-10-1 Detroit Lions now. And, of course, Matt Nagy between Tuesday and the game itself, of course, the McCaskies and Ryan Pace, how they were saying, like, whoa, we're not firing Matt Nagy. Yeah, you're not firing Matt Nagy, but it's pretty obvious that the guy will not be the head coach of the Chicago Bears come 2022. You know, I talked to Jason Boone that day, like, when, when all these rumors were starting to surface. And, of course, the big name that ha- that has been surfacing as to who might potentially be the head coach for the Chicago Bears in 2022 is none other than, you guessed it, Doug Peterson, who won Super Bowl 52 with the Philadelphia Eagles. And, of course, I know that Andy Dalton is there, Justin Fields, but, of course, you know, obviously the, the Nick Foles connection and whatnot. So then, a little after 4.30 on CBS... The second game of the triple header, the Las Vegas Raiders and the Dallas Cowboys. And of course, I guess you could say, 
really two teams heading in the wrong direction. I mean, of course, the Raiders, after such a wonderful start to the season, starting 3-0. and And then those two ugly losses to the Chargers on Monday Night Football. And then, of course, everything that surfaced about the John Gruden emails. And that day, just looking completely flat against the Chicago Bears. And, and up until Thursday, up until Thursday, that was the Chicago Bears' last win was week five against the, the Las Vegas Raiders. I mean, it's all the turmoil with John Gruden and the, those emails that he sent to Bruce Allen. And then sure enough, the following night when more emails surfaced about, you know, what he called Roger Goodell and, you know, Michael Sam and, of course, Joe Biden and everything. I mean, really how there was – John Gruden had no choice whatsoever – between Mark Davis and between Roger Goodell, there was no choice whatsoever but to resign as head coach of the Las Vegas Raiders just four seasons into a 10-year, $100 million contract. Of course, you know, himself and Mark Davis, they settled, and of course he sued the National Football League. But but for Rich Pisakia to take over as the interim head coach or special teams coach and for them to go all the way out to Denver, a place that the Raiders have always struggled at, to beat them and then to beat the Philadelphia Eagles. And you're 5-2 and two going into your bye week. And then, of course, the bye week, just two days after it's over, the tragic, and I mean tragic situation with Henry Ruggs, you know, you're your first-round pick in 2020, one of your first-round picks in 2020, then, of course, driving under the influence, 156 miles an hour in a Corvette and slamming into someone, killing them and their dog. And, of course, the Raiders, once again, having no choice whatsoever but to release Henry Ruggs. And three losses in a row, three ugly losses in a row, one to the New York Giants all the way out in New Jersey. Then, of course, the embarrassing loss on Sunday Night Football at home, to Patrick Mahomes and the Kansas City Chiefs, 41-14, when Patrick Mahomes has five touchdowns against you. And then, you know, as I said, and then another embarrassing loss at home to the Cincinnati Bengals this past Sunday, 32-13. Then, of course, the Dallas Cowboys themselves. It, it, it's weird how the Denver Broncos always seem to have the, the number of the Dallas Cowboys for like a good 20-some years now whether it was the John Elway era or the post-John Elway era. I mean, beating them twice on Thanksgiving. Then, of course, Peyton Manning, that amazing game that they had in 2013, himself and Tony Romo, where the Broncos prevailed 51-48. to And then even in 2017, getting blown out by the Denver Broncos just two weeks into the season when the Cowboys had sky-high expectations. But I think what stood out to me was, of course, how the game began with the Raiders – and how Derek Carr hit Deshaun Jackson, that's right, Deshaun Jackson, now a Las Vegas Raider, for a 56-yard touchdown to get the Raiders on the board first. But this really, I mean, I know that Dak was without Amari Cooper. And, I mean, really, how unfortunate that has to be for, for Amari, you know, the chance to go up against your, your old team. And you're ruled out because of COVID. Then, of course, CeeDee Lamb, who was concussed this past Sunday against the Kansas City Chiefs, an embarrassing loss for the Dallas Cowboys when they lost 19-9. to I mean, really, it's just the, the Cowboys, an amazing start that they got off to this season. It just seems like they're sort of reeling right now. And then, 
you know, to no surprise, I mean, when the Cowboys, when they get the ball and they get the touchdown, how Greg Zerline missed an extra point. And it just seems like that's really been the theme of Greg Zerline's time as the Dallas Cowboys, missing these extra points, missing these field goals that, that, that he should be making. But, I mean, really for the Las Vegas Raiders and for Derek Carr, then, of course, I mean, the, the scare that they had early on with Darren Waller. You know, easily one of the best tight ends in the National Football League and losing him because of a knee injury. I mean, it was a it was a great game. I mean, it was it was really a back and forth battle between these two teams. But ultimately, no matter if you ask Kyle Williams about it, if you ask Josh Manley about it, if you ask any Raiders fan or any Cowboys fan, this game is going to be remembered for all the wrong reasons and of course all the penalties. Between the two teams, 28 accepted penalties for 226 yards and the Raiders were flagged 14 times for 110 yards. The Cowboys 14 times for 166. And it said that the Raiders, how they earned seven of their 28 first downs by penalty. And for the Cowboys, four out of 23. And then, of course, the game going into overtime. And, of course, the controversial call, controversial call, excuse me, with <clears throat> Anthony Brown being flagged for passing interference when, when Derek Carr, when he was throwing that deep ball to Zay Jones on third and 18 midfield. And sure enough, it, it was drawn on Anthony Brown. And then, of course, how Daniel Carlson, the 29-yard field goal and all the subsequent penalties before that. And sure enough, the Raiders kicking the game-winning field goal to improve to 6-5, and five, their first win in a month. And, of course, the Cowboys falling all the way to 7-4 and four after, after I said the amazing start that they got off to this year. And, of course, Josh Manley, Jerry Jones, pretty much any Dallas Cowboys fan, obviously they were not impressed whatsoever with the officiating. And Jerry Jones himself, you know, he, he talked about it after the game was over. And he said that he was not a fan of really how the Raiders, how they kept throwing the deep ball. And he <clears throat> saw this as a way for the Raiders, you know, to get the first downs and everything. And, you know, Jerry Jones indicated that the real issues, it's not the NFL's rules, but over-officious officials, I guess you could say. Jerryisms, you know. But sure enough, as Michael Smith talked about on Pro Football Talk, there was an article about it this morning, and it said that Jones can't fault the Raiders for the way that they threw the deep ball so many times and drawing passing interference penalties, but he thinks the NFL's rules incentivize underthrown passes to draw flags and that officials don't need to throw a flag on every bit of ticky-tack contact, you know, as, as Jerry would say himself. And Jerry said after the game was over, he said to their credit, I think the Raiders just did a, a real good job of getting their big plays, and a bunch of them were penalties in the throwing game. They took advantage of it, and I think it influenced the win. We had some plays go with us too. It wasn't like it didn't go against them. So again, this really is not a criticism of the rules. That's a criticism of the discretion of how you use them and what play. Everybody knows that you can call a penalty on every play many different ways every time the ball snapped. And so you have to have a feel for what you're trying to do in the ball game, and this one turned out that way. The officials didn't quite call a penalty on every play on Thanksgiving, but at times it felt that way. Still, until the officiating affects the popularity of the sport, the league doesn't have much incentivized to change things. I mean, you could look at it either way. You know, I, I know, I know Josh, and I can understand why Josh was upset with all the calls at the end. You know, he tweeted Derek Carr. He said, "The ref save your ass today, boy." And uh, on the same side of the coin, you know, Kyle Williams, 
it's not often, obviously, that, that the Cowboys and the Raiders that they play each other, but sure enough, the last time they played each other in 2017, we all remember the index card and how that decided the game and the win for the Dallas Cowboys. And, I mean, Kyle was texting me yesterday afternoon since we both had a day off from work, and, I mean, he was just going off about about all the calls and, and the Cowboy fans and everything. I mean, definitely <clears> – <throat> I mean, a great game itself, but it's unfortunate that it was that people are going to remember it for all the penalties. Then, of course, the nightcap on Sunday night, or yeah, Sunday night football. I mean, it, it really is Sunday night football. It's on NBC, but Thursday night football with the Buffalo Bills and the New Orleans Saints. And, of course, with Buffalo, such an embarrassing loss this past Sunday against the Indianapolis Colts at home. 41-15 to 15, as Jonathan Taylor had five touchdowns. And when you look at the New Orleans Saints themselves, I mean, really, it's like Kyle talked about yesterday. They are going to have to evaluate what they want to do at quarterback in 2022 because ever since Drew Brees retired, Jameis Winston, Taysom Hill, Trevor Simeon, none of them are the answer whatsoever at quarterback for the New Orleans Saints. Of course, I mean, with Drew, those are impossible shoes to fill. After 15 seasons, the Super Bowl championship in 2009, so many NFL records that, that he has. I know some of them were broken by, by Tom Brady, especially the touchdown record, that being one of them, and sure enough, the, the passing yards as well. How ironic that Tom did it in his return to New England on October 3rd. But, obviously, Jameis Winston, you name him the starter after he was one of the backups last year. You name him over Taysom Hill, and we know how Sean Payton loves to use Taysom Hill in that offense. But the Saints, I mean, they were looking good. They got off to a 5-2 and two start, and then, wouldn't you know, the Jameis Winston tears his ACL. And they've now lost, <clears throat> they've now lost four games in a row ever since then. It's obvious that Trevor Simeon is not the answer. And for whatever reason, they gave... Taysom Hill, that big contract earlier this week. But Josh Allen, I mean, he looked like the Josh Allen of old on Thursday night. He looked like Joshua MVP Allen, as Jason Boone likes to talk about. And completing 23 out of 28 passes for 260 yards, four touchdowns. Four touchdowns with Stephon Diggs and Dawson Knox. I mean, really, two two great weapons. And I guess you could say Dawson Knox is probably one of the more underrated tight ends in the National Football League. But that Bills defense, I mean, they really, really stepped up on Thursday night. Granted, it was going up against Trevor Simeon, but it was the lowest, lowest amount of total yards that the Saints have ever had in the Sean Payton era, which began back in 2006. Buffalo allowed just 190 total yards. And Ed Oliver, who was one of their first-round picks back in 2019 with four tackles, getting to Trevor Simeon twice and half of a sack. You know, Mario Addison, who's another one that I, I think is really, really underrated on that defense. You know, I mean, really, like, filling the gap and wreaking havoc on Trevor Simeon. And, I mean, think of it, 12 first downs. 12 first downs, one of the most prolific and high-scoring offenses when, when Drew Brees was there. But 12 first downs all night long for the New Orleans Saints. I mean, wow. But, of course, the biggest blow for the Buffalo Bills. I mean, I know that 
Jordan Poyer with their secondary. I know he had an interception, but one of the biggest blows that they suffered on Thursday night, Tredavious White, without a doubt, one of the best corners in the National Football League, tearing his ACL early on in the second quarter. Not only done for the night, but also done for the season. And I mean, really, <clears throat> on a night when Drew Brees was honored at halftime, and, and that was so cool seeing him do that Houdat chant one last time at, at the Superdome. But, I mean, for 64 total yards on 27 plays at the half, going, at, you know, going into the second half, and also being shut out as well. And, of course, not only having issues with quarterback, but really the lack of depth at running back. You know, Alvin Kamara, as amazing as he has been these past four years, I mean, he's been at these past couple weeks. And you bring back Mark Ingram after, you know, he was with – Baltimore and with Houston and sure enough you know he was out as well I mean really it's just such a I had a feeling that the Saints were going to crash back down to earth this year and sure enough I was not wrong with that whatsoever so looking ahead to tomorrow's games one o'clock the seven and three Super Bowl champion Tampa Bay Buccaneers at the six and five Indianapolis Colts, and I mean, really, when you think of it, what a turnaround for the Colts after starting zero and three. I mean, really, at this point, you're thinking, are they even going to have a winning season? The Tennessee Titans, it looked like they were going to run away with the AFC South, and then of course, the foot injury to Derrick Henry on Halloween against the Indianapolis Colts, and I mean, really, all the injuries that the Tennessee Titans have. I think the AFC South is about to be wide open, especially with the Titans having to travel to New England, the amount of injuries that they have suffered. And, and I mean, really, the Colts are red hot right now. Jonathan Taylor, the five touchdowns this past Sunday against the Buffalo Bills, 41-15, to AFC Offensive Player of the Week. And I mean, really, a huge win for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers as well after that two-game losing streak, you know, shutting out the New York Giants in the second half, 30-10 to on Monday Night Football. And I think the biggest thing with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers this year is just really all the injuries to their starters. I mean, really, the, that secondary, Carlton Davis, that's one of them, I, I, you know, injured reserve. But that offensive line, Ali Marpet, doubtful for tomorrow with an abdomen injury. Vita Vaya, who was a crucial part of that, that front seven last year on that Super Bowl run when they got him back. But sure enough, he's questionable with a knee injury. Devin White. Their linebacker, their star linebacker, questionable with a quad injury. Then for the Colts, the two question marks, I guess you could say, you know, Darius Leonard, the most underrated linebacker in the league, you know, questionable with an ankle injury, along with Quentin Nelson, their guard. But both of them, even though they're questionable, they did practice fully yesterday. I think that, you know, when you look at the Buccaneers, even though they're allowing about 257 passing yards, they've done a really, really good job against the run only allowing 78.4 yards. And, of course, you know that Frank Reich and the Colts, you know you, you know that they'll be wanting to run the ball. And I think that Tampa, and especially Todd Bowles in that defense, I think that they're, they're going to try and contain Jonathan Taylor. I really, really do. And when you look at the, the Colts and themselves, they're allowing about, you know, about 260 passing yards. I think that Tom Brady... I mean, while they're allowing 111 rushing yards, talking about the Indianapolis Colts. So I think that you'll get a little dose of Leonard Fournette, and I I definitely see Tom Brady, you know, trying to connect early and often with Chris Godwin and with Mike Evans and with Darius Leonard and, of course, 
not just trying to get to Tom Brady, but also the secondary as well. You know, we, we've seen how Tom has had a few turnovers over the past few weeks or so, but nevertheless, even though they're on a great run right now, talking about the Colts, I'm taking the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Then the game of the day, the 2-8 and eight New York Jets and the 2-8 and eight Houston Texans. <laughs> oh my God, what else can you say about that? I mean, really, two teams that are just an absolute mess right now. And then, of course, the quarterback situation for the New York Jets. You know, when you look at that nice stretch of games that Mike White was having when they beat the Cincinnati Bengals, you trade and bring back Joe Flacco, then sure enough, he's on the COVID list along with Mike White. So sure enough, Zach Wilson will be back under center tomorrow at the Houston Texans. But... The injuries themselves, I mean, Corey Davis, questionable with a groin injury. Then, of course, Michael Carter, who they got in this year's draft from North Carolina, not going to play this week because of an ankle injury. Just And then Shaq Lawson, he has a wrist injury, which, you know, he's questionable for tomorrow. C.J. Mosley with his shoulder. And then, I mean, really with the Houston Texans, I mean, definitely a surprising win this past Sunday against the Tennessee Titans in the pouring rain in Nashville. But nevertheless, I... I feel like the Jets overall, I feel like they have a better roster compared to, considering what it is, compared to a Texans roster that has just been completely gutted over the past year or two, I guess you could say, and I'm taking the New York Jets. The 5-6 and six Philadelphia Eagles at the 3-7 and seven New York Giants, and I mean, really, when you think of it, what a turnaround for the Philadelphia Eagles. Uh, under so much speculation and scrutiny, you know, with Nick Sirianni, and you know, you talk about that game on October 24th against the Raiders. Think about this for a second. I was just thinking about it on Thanksgiving. When they lost to the Las Vegas Raiders on October 24th, the Philadelphia Eagles were 2-5. and five. The Las Vegas Raiders, they were 5-2. and two. Sure enough, they finally got their first win since that game when they beat the Dallas Cowboys 36-33, to much the, to the delight of Philadelphia Eagles fans for sure. But at that point, they were 2-5. and five. Everyone was thinking, oh, what the hell is Nick Sirianni doing? It's, you know, he's throwing the ball nonstop. He's not running it. And then, of course, the schedule. And, I mean, they have had a really, really good stretch in November. I mean, yeah, I know that they beat Detroit. But after losing to the Chargers, I mean, really convincing. And I mean convincing win against the New Orleans Saints this past Sunday at home. And, of course, you're getting back Miles Sanders. And when I look at the New York Giants, it's just the amount of injuries that they have, especially to that receiving core. You know, whether Kenny Galladay, that's one of them, of course. I mean, the the ridiculous amount of money that they overpaid him this past season. And when you know about the amount of injuries that he has. But when I look at the Philadelphia Eagles and the New York Giants, you know, Darius Slay, who was in concussion protocol, but, I mean, what an amazing season that he is having. Talking about it, you know, someone that left the Detroit Lions for an NFC East team. But Jordan Howard is out. Tay Gowan, he's listed as questionable. But, like I said, just the amount of injuries that the New York Giants have, especially to that receiving core. And Saquon Barkley, we know how fragile he has been lately for the past year and a half or so. I mean, he's questionable for this game. But Sterling Shepard, out with a quad injury. Kadarius Tony, he has a quad injury as well, and he's doubtful for tomorrow. And, I mean, really, even though I don't expect it, you, you wonder, is the clock really starting to tick for Joe Judge? And I, I would doubt it. I mean, this is just his second season. But, you know, 
Kyle Rudolph, their tight end who they got from Minnesota, he has an ankle injury as well, and he's doubtful for tomorrow. John Ross, another one of that receiving core, he's questionable. So, I mean, really, when I look at when I look at these two teams and I look at these two quarterbacks, I feel like, you know, Jalen Hurts, I feel like you're starting to see some of that poise and some of that potential. Daniel Jones, I still don't know what to expect out of him. And I just feel like overall, I feel like the Philadelphia Eagles, I mean, hey, they're 4-2 and two on the road this year. I feel like they are definitely getting hot at the right time. And, I mean, Miles Sanders said it himself, you know, the, if they win out, they're in the playoffs. So I feel like not only that, but at times the way that they were able to really contain the Denver Broncos in Denver and how opportunistic their defense was against Trevor Simeon and the Saints this past Sunday, I'm definitely taking the Philadelphia Eagles on this one. The 5-6 and six Carolina Panthers at the 4-7 and seven Miami Dolphins. Of, and, of course, you know Cam Newton, his first game back at Bank of America Stadium. And sure enough, him running out of the tunnel to the song, I'm Coming Home. I mean, it, it definitely sent chills down your spine. And the Panthers themselves, I mean, really the fast start that they got off to this past Sunday against their old coach, Ron Rivera, and the Washington football team, you definitely felt like, like they were on their way to victory before things sort of unraveled in the second half and Washington prevailed 27-21. to 21. But obviously, when you look at these two quarterbacks and you look at how, I mean, really how well Cam Newton has adapted after being away from the Panthers for almost two years. And I think, you know, with the Miami Dolphins, they're 4-7 and seven and they're starting to get hot at the right time. But obviously, all those losses at the beginning of the year. And I mean, now they're in a stretch where... A pretty winnable stretch, I guess you could say, after starting the season 1-7 and seven and the big win that they had against the Baltimore Ravens on Veterans Day on Thursday Night Football. So, I mean, they beat the Texans 17-9, the huge win against the Ravens, beating the Jets this past Sunday 24-17. You have, I guess you could say, a beatable Carolina Panthers team, then of course the New York Giants, and your bye week before you play the Jets once again. And then the Saints on Monday Night Football. So I mean, really, when you think of it, five and seven, six and seven, seven and seven, eight and seven. So after the Christmas weekend, if the Miami Dolphins went out, they could be eight and seven, and they could be right in the thick of the AFC Wild Card race for that seventh seed. But ultimately, I just don't see it happening. I, I really, really don't. Even though they've had a nice stretch these past few weeks, and even though Tua Tonga Vailoa, even though he has played exceptionally well, especially with all the injuries that he has had to deal with this year, whether it was getting hurt against the Buffalo Bills. But I, overall, right now, I just feel like between the two quarterbacks, I would take a fresh Cam Newton at this moment over to a tongue of Ialoa. So I'm taking the Carolina Panthers for tomorrow. Then the 8-3 and three Tennessee Titans, woo, at the 7-4 and four New England Patriots. And I guess you could say maybe a bit of a homecoming for Mike Vrabel, head coach of the Tennessee Titans. So Mike, we all know the story. He was drafted by the Steelers in 1997, didn't really fit into Bill Cowher's scheme all that well. Sure enough, the Patriots pick him up, and he was a part of those three Super Bowls, 2001, 2003, 2004. You know, Mike was there, spent some time with the Kansas City Chiefs, obviously, with all the, the New England connections that they had. You know, with Scott Pioli, their general manager, going there. And then when Mike retired, sure enough, becoming the head coach of the Tennessee Titans after stops at Ohio State and the Houston Texans as an assistant. 
So, I mean, really, this is the pupil versus the teacher. Mike Vrabel versus Bill Belichick. And who can f- ever forget who was the one coach and the one team that outsmarted Bill Belichick at his own game, you know, with the back-to-back delay of game penalties and the wild card round, January 2020, to end that dynasty, that Patriot dynasty. It was Mike Vrabel and the Tennessee Titans. But right now, with Derrick Henry possibly being gone for another month or so, A.J. Brown, your number one receiver, out for tomorrow with a chest injury, Julio Jones being put on injured reserve after you traded for him back in June, Nate Davis, your guard, still in concussion protocol, Rashawn Evans out with an ankle, David Long out with a hamstring injury, Jeremy McNichols, one of your running backs, he has a concussion, and you just released Adrian Peterson, even though you really didn't use him all that much. And what is the bread and butter of the Tennessee Titans? It's the run game. The running game, that is what it has always been under Mike Vrabel since he became the head coach in 2018. And when you look at the Tennessee Titans, and ironically, another piece that they lost in the offseason, Jonu Smith, their tight end, as Sean Rosansky would say, Jonu! But, you know, Jonu, for tomorrow's game, talking about the Patriots and the amount of injuries that they have right now. But Jonu is dealing with a shoulder. Hunter Henry, their other tight end that they got from the Los Angeles Chargers, dealing with a neck injury right now. And their kicker, Nick Folt, with a knee injury. Running back, Damian Harris, with a neck injury. Dante Hightower, their premier linebacker, with an ankle injury. But honestly, right now, guys, I don't think it really even matters all that much. You know, I feel like Matthew Slater, who has been a special teams ace for the New England Patriots, you know, he talked about really how Mac Jones, their first-round pick out of Alabama, how Mac has really, really adapted well to the Patriot way and their culture immediately. And obviously, you know, Ryan Tannehill, just talking about the Miami Dolphins, but Ryan Tannehill, the seven seasons that he had with the Miami Dolphins before being traded to the Tennessee Titans. And we've seen, especially with the absence of Derrick Henry, I mean, just really how limited of a quarterback you are with Ryan Tannehill. And, of course, the AFC Championship two years ago against the Kansas City Chiefs. That was just another example of this. I feel like right now, these two teams are heading in completely opposite directions. You know, the Tennessee Titans, as hot of a start as they got off to at 8-4, and four, what an embarrassing loss at home to the Houston Texans, who a lot of people at the beginning of the year thought they were going to be the first pick in the draft. And when you look at the New England Patriots, how they started the season 2-4, and four, and could not win a game at Gillette Stadium to save their lives. And now look at them. I mean, looking like the Patriots of old. So, I mean, really, I would have to say, as much as it pains me with this game tomorrow, I've got to take the New England Patriots on this one. Then, of course, one of the biggest rivalries in the National Football League, I guess you could say over the past 15 or 16 years, probably even further back than that, but especially over the past decade and a half or so. The 5-4-1 Pittsburgh Steelers at the 6-4 Cincinnati Bengals. Of course, everybody remembers week three back on September 26th, the Cincinnati Bengals. They came into Pittsburgh and beat the Steelers 24-10. Such an embarrassing loss for the Pittsburgh Steelers. And then, of course, Ben Roethlisberger. I mean, really, at that point, you were thinking, like, he's washed up. He's done. He just doesn't have that deep ball like he used to, throwing so many passes behind the line of scrimmage. They had no running game, no offensive line. T.J. Watt was out. Alex Highsmith was out. I mean, and of course, the, the amount of injuries, it never fails when it comes to the Pittsburgh Steelers. Now, Alex Smith, he will be, Alex Highsmith, he will be out there tomorrow. But of course, the biggest question mark, who else? T.J. Watt. 
hip injury, knee injury. I mean, he did practice fully yesterday, but Mike Tomlin, he's pretty much kept it to his vest whether or not T.J. Watt will be playing tomorrow. But, you know, I just have a gut feeling with the work ethic that T.J. has, the amount of passion that he plays with, how competitive he is. I feel like he will be back tomorrow, and I definitely see him getting to Joe Burrow at least once or twice in that game. The only two that have been ruled out for the game have been Eric Ebron, their tight end, like like he even really cares to begin with. But he's been ruled out for tomorrow with a knee injury. Their center, J.C. Hassenhauer, with a pack injury. Both, though, both of them have been ruled out for tomorrow. The only real question mark aside from T.J. Watt is Joe Hayden, their premier corner. One of their premier corners, I guess you could say, with the foot injury that he's been dealing with. But, I mean, really for the Bengals, it's really a clean slate, I guess you could say. Auden Tate, their one uh, wide receiver with a thigh injury, that's really the only one that's doubtful for tomorrow. I'm talking about the Cincinnati Bengals. Now, the Pittsburgh Steelers, I mean, what a remarkable job by Ben Roethlisberger on Sunday night in Los Angeles against the Chargers have no practice whatsoever the whole week because of COVID-19 and being ruled out against the Detroit Lions, and we saw how much of a train wreck that was. But a lot of unfortunate things with the Steelers right now. I mean, really a heartbreaking loss on Sunday night to the Chargers, 41-37. And, I mean, really a defense that just looks so out of sync. You know, no T.J. Watt, no Stephon Tewitt especially. And how they did not get to... Justin Herbert whatsoever. I mean, even though the Chargers, even though the Chargers had opportunity, 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 they gave the Steelers so many opportunities to win that game for themselves. And sure enough, the Steelers ended up shooting themselves in the foot, like has been a custom this year, at the beginning of the year especially. But <clears throat> when I look at Ray Ray McLeod was another one who they use on returns. I mean, Ray Ray has had a, had a good two weeks, but sure enough, he's been put on the COVID list. And even though Ben Roethlisberger's back, even though I'm starting to see something from Najee Harris and that offensive line, I'm seeing a lot right now out of Joe Burrow and the Cincinnati Bengals, especially on their offense. The Steelers, we know how, how troublesome their secondary has been over the past decade or so. And Joe Burrow, Jamar Chase, Joe Mixon, he's healthy right now. So, unfortunately, for the first time in a long time, I'm going to take the Cincinnati Bengals to sweep the Pittsburgh Steelers. The 4-6 and six Atlanta Falcons at the 2-8 and eight Jacksonville Jaguars. I mean, really two teams down south that really have so many issues right now. You know, with the Falcons getting shut out 25 to nothing on Thursday Night Football last week against the Patriots, the Jacksonville Jaguars at 2-6, and six, and you hear about all this turmoil with the coaches, not believing in Trevor Lawrence whatsoever. Um, I mean, really, when I think of this, even though the Jacksonville Jaguars, even though they're a healthy team, and I mean, really... Shaq Griffin, their one corner, has a concussion. They're a lot healthier right now than the Atlanta Falcons are. Me and Cordero Patterson, you know, questionable with a knee injury. And Deion Jones, one of the few good linebackers that they have, questionable with a shoulder injury. I just, you wonder at this point with Matt Ryan being 36 years old and 14 seasons with the Atlanta Falcons, you wonder what's next. Because, I mean, obviously at four and six, I really don't see them making the playoffs. I mean, when you look at the Atlanta Falcons' schedule going forward, so sure enough, I mean, I am taking them to beat the Jacksonville Jaguars tomorrow. But after that, Tampa Bay Buccaneers, Carolina Panthers, at the San Francisco 49ers, 
Detroit Christmas weekend. You never know, obviously, with how close Detroit's been this year. But then New Year's weekend, Buffalo Bills, and then you wrap up with the New Orleans Saints. If you're Matt Ryan, do you stay loyal to Atlanta, even though you know this team is not what it once was? I mean, all the early playoff appearances in your career, almost getting to the Super Bowl in 2012, then, of course, getting to the Super Bowl four years later and blowing that game 28-3. to do you, do you try and be like Matt Stafford and request a trade after this season is over? Because I feel like Matt Ryan still has some good football left in him. But really, I mean, when you think of it, is he going to be loyal or is he going to want to chase a ring knowing at 36 years old that his time in the National Football League could be com- coming to an end? And the Atlanta Falcons, I would not be surprised one bit if they look for a quarterback next year in 2022, whether it's in free agency trade or the draft. that That's just a gut feeling that I'm starting to have right now. But, yeah, nevertheless, I'm taking the Atlanta Falcons. Then, of course, to the later games on the day, 4 o'clock, the 6-4 and four Los Angeles Chargers at the 5-5 five and five Denver Broncos. And what a remarkable, and I mean remarkable, performance on Sunday night for the Chargers against the Pittsburgh Steelers. Not, I mean, Justin Herbert himself, you're talking 50 fantasy points. You're talking about Austin Eckler, you know, the Al Bundy game, four touchdowns that he had against the Pittsburgh Steelers. Um, Asante Samuel Jr., obviously, you know, the name himself, but sure enough, he got a concussion on Sunday night against the Pittsburgh Steelers. He is out tomorrow, along with Gilman, their their safety. He has a quad injury. Matt Feeler, who played for the University of Bloomsburg, questionable for tomorrow with an ankle injury. And then you look at the Denver Broncos. Of course, Bradley Chubb, he's still on injured reserve. You know, Vic is Vic Fangio, another one that's on the hot seat. But, you know, Vic said that he's 50-50 to play on Sunday. And, I mean, really, of course, who can forget about them trading Vaughn Miller to the Los Angeles Rams? But Kareem Jackson, doubtful with a neck injury. And, I mean, really, when you look at that and you look at people questioning, you know, Teddy Bridgewater's commitment, even though this is high altitude, even though the Broncos, even though they give the Chargers a run for their money every time they come there, I just feel like the Chargers are about to really go off on a tear and stamp their ticket to the playoffs over these next coming weeks. I'm taking the Los Angeles Chargers over the Denver Broncos. Then Fox's Game of the Week at 425, Lambeau Field. What else can you say? The frozen tundra of Lambeau Field, as <laughs> the late great John Facenda would always say. The 7-3 and Los Angeles Rams at the 8-3 and Green Bay Packers. Green Bay will be going on their bye week after, after this game tomorrow night. But, of course, I guess really the storylines, Odell Beckham Jr., this is going to be his second game with the Los Angeles Rams. Two catches, 18 yards, and an embarrassing loss on Monday Night Football against the San Francisco 49ers, 31-10. And, I mean, really when you think of it, with how stacked Sean McVay and that team, that locker room, that offense is, and you know how much of a cancer that Odell Beckham Jr. is, was it really necessary to, to go out and acquire him, especially when... I know Matt Stafford has struggled these past two games against the Titans and the 49ers, but obviously you have a really, really good connection with Cooper Cup, who's leading the league in receiving yards. And when you look at both these teams, of course, for both of them, when you look at the Rams losing Cam Akers, their running back before the season started, and then you look at the Green Bay Packers with Aaron Jones missing some time with, after he tore his MCL. 
two weeks ago against the Seattle Seahawks. Then, of course, all of the controversy with Aaron Rodgers with COVID and now with his toe and saying, like, oh, it's a COVID toe. I mean, it, it's just there's just never-ending drama with Aaron Rodgers. So for Matt Stafford, it's a familiar foe, a familiar adversary in the Green Bay Packers with all the time that he spent in Detroit. So when I look at this Green Bay Packers team, even with all the injuries that they have, with Aaron Jones, with Rashawn Gary, with Alan Lazard, Bakhtiari, their tackle with a knee injury, and then uh, Kevin King is another one, doubtful with a hip and a knee injury. I think ultimately with both of these teams, with the amount of injuries that really both of them have had to endure, I just knowing Matt Stafford's history and just knowing his history of playing up there, I see Green Bay's defense being very opportunistic. I see them getting to him several times. I see him turning the ball over. I say about two interceptions. And I think the thing with Aaron Rodgers is you have to get to him. You have to pressure him. You have to rattle him. And, I mean, really, this is a, a, a Rams team that's just reeling right now. Even, like I said, even with the acquisition of Von Miller, I feel like Aaron Donald will get to Aaron Rodgers at some point in this game. But I feel like Aaron and Devontae Adams, I see both of them having a big night. I would take Devontae Adams over Jalen Ramsey in that matchup anytime. And I think with everything going on right now with the Rams and knowing, like I said, knowing the kind of person that Odo Beckham Jr. is, if Matt Stafford isn't getting the ball to him early in this game tomorrow, you know that it's going to be a temper tantrum and a bitch fest. So I'm taking the Green Bay Packers over the Los Angeles Rams. And then, speaking of the Green Bay Packers, what a game this past Sunday against the Minnesota Vikings. And I know Johnny Glow, I know there's no team that he enjoys seeing the Vikings beat more than the Green Bay Packers. So the Pack or the Vikings themselves, they're five and five after the slow start that they got off to this season. Five and five. Kirk Cousins is playing really, really good football right now. I mean, I looked it up just the other day, you know, the 21 touchdowns and two interceptions. I mean, and you would never think of it with the amount of criticism that he receives. But for a Minnesota Vikings team that, even though they started 3-5, and five, like I talked about last week, look at all the close losses that they've had. Cincinnati in overtime, Arizona because of a missed field goal by one point. And right now, <clears throat> losing to the Cleveland Browns, losing to the Cleveland Browns after going up 7 nothing. And you get shut out the rest of the game, 14-7. to The close loss to the Dallas Cowboys on Sunday Night Football right at the last minute, 20-16. to And then, of course, the overtime loss to the Baltimore Ravens, 34-31 in overtime. Mike Zimmer knows the time is ticking. He has to get this team to the playoffs. He has to continue that unique trend that he has had since he became the head coach in 2014. Obviously, that year they missed the playoffs, but they missed the playoffs 2016, 2018, 2020. Then you look at the odd years, 2015, they made the playoffs. They would have beaten the Seattle Seahawks if not for missing that chip shot field goal. Then, of course, that amazing season they had in 2017 with Case Keenum going 13-3, and but being demolished in the NFC Championship to the Philadelphia Eagles. And then, of course, 2019, that amazing, and I mean amazing, wild card win against Drew Brees and New Orleans Saints, the first playoff win for Kirk Cousins in his career. But... That miraculous run and that amazing... That's the thing with the Vikings. And Johnny Glow, he can attest to this. 
The Minnesota Vikings, throughout their history, it seems like whenever they have a dramatic win that, that you'll never, ever forget about, whether it was that wild card win against Drew Brees two years ago, whether it was the walk-off against the New Orleans Saints two years before that with Stephon Diggs, the last play of the game. With the Vikings, whenever they have these huge, dramatic victories, the following week, it's usually, they usually lay an egg. And two years ago, sure enough, when they beat the Saints in the wild card round, they had to travel out to Santa Clara that Saturday to face the same opponent they have tomorrow, the 5-5 five and five San Francisco 49ers. And sure enough, they lost 27-10, and the 49ers did a hell of a job of shutting their, their offense down that day. Now, of course, with the, the Vikings themselves, when you look at when you look at Kirk Cousins, when you look at Justin Jefferson, I mean, I would put him on the all-pro team for this year without a doubt. And you look at Dalvin Cook, you look at really the amount of playmakers that they have. But when it comes to these two teams defensively, I would definitely give the edge to the San Francisco 49ers. Now, I would have to say quarterback-wise, I would definitely take, I think, Kirk Cousins – I would definitely consider him the better quarterback between himself and Jimmy Garoppolo. Of course, we all know how Kyle Shanahan, that really the bread and butter of the 49ers, has been running the football. But, of course, with the amount of injuries that they have, they have endured this year, especially to the running game, it seems like that's always been the case in the Kyle Shanahan era. I mean, Jamichael Hasty, he's not going to be playing tomorrow with an ankle injury. And Elijah Mitchell was another one who has – not only a rib injury, but a finger injury, but it sounds like he's going to be out tomorrow as well for the San Francisco 49ers. So when I look ahead to tomorrow, I look at two, I guess you could say, I love Justin Jefferson. That's why I wish the Steelers would have acquired last year. I wish they would have traded back into the first round and gotten Justin Jefferson from LSU, but I, I knew that he was going to be a good one when the Vikings took him. But I think probably one of the more underrated wide receivers in the National Football League right now is Debo Samuel. I mean, he is just six yards shy of a 1,000-yard season already. 55 receptions, five touchdowns. I mean, obviously, that's a great connection that he and Jimmy Garoppolo have going. And, of course, I think the other big story when it comes to the Minnesota Vikings is you just have to, I mean, really pray for the safety of Everson Griffin, definitely a very, and I mean a very, very scary situation on Thanksgiving morning when, you know, you saw on, on his Instagram how he was talking about how he felt like his life was in danger and everything, and thankfully, I mean, thankfully he's safe, but sure enough, Mike Zimmer and the Minnesota Vikings, they had to put him on the, the non-reserve list with everything that he and his family are going through right now. So definitely my thoughts and prayers go out to Everson Griffin and his family. But when I look at both of these teams, as I talked about, just knowing the psyche of, of this Minnesota Vikings team, I'm going to have to go with the San Francisco 49ers on this one. And then ahead to Sunday Night Football, the 6-5 and five Cleveland Browns at the 7-3 and three Baltimore Ravens. Lamar Jackson is expected to be back after missing this past Sunday with an illness against the Chicago Bears. I mean, really, when you look at the when you look at the Cleveland Browns, I mean, really, what a mess when you hear about Baker Mayfield. I know that right now he's playing with a torn labrum in his left his left shoulder, but also dealing with a foot injury, a groin injury. I mean, he will be out there tomorrow night. And, and honestly, 
The Ravens and the Browns, Monday Night Football last year, December 14th, that was the game of the year, 47-42. And depending on, I mean, well, obviously, with the way I feel about the Cleveland Browns, I was pulling for the Ravens that night. But, of course, the game fondly remembered as, I guess you could say, the holy shit game with Lamar Jackson coming back and then leading them to a last-minute victory, 47-42. Now, I mean, really, both these teams are banged up. Lamar Jackson will be back, but Calais Campbell with a concussion injury. Marquise Brown, Hollywood Brown, he's been dealing with a thigh injury. Jimmy Smith, their one corner with a neck injury. I think that ultimately, with all the turmoil that the Browns have right now, you're hearing all these rumors about Baker Mayfield, about the the locker room basically starting to turn on him after the smart-ass comments that he had about the fans this past Sunday. And, of course, I think the one thing with the Browns is they have to get that running game established early and often. But when I look at both these teams right now, even with all the issues that the Baltimore Ravens are dealing with, I'm taking them on Sunday night football. And then on Monday night football, the 3-7 and seven Seattle Seahawks at the 4-6 and six Washington football team. I mean, really, what a mess in Seattle right now. And I just don't see Russell Wilson being the same Russell Wilson that we've come to expect. That You can tell that finger injury is still bothering him. And when I look at the Washington football team, I look at a team that's really starting to get hot at the right time, just like they did last year. You know, just like last year, they got off to a start of 2-6, and six, but two crucial wins against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and against the Carolina Panthers. And when I look at this Washington team, Right now, honestly, I feel like they're in better shape than the Seattle Seahawks are. And when I look at the rest of their schedule, the Raiders, the Cowboys, you know that's a rivalry game. You hear it from every Washington fan. We want Dallas. We want Dallas. Even though the Philadelphia Eagles are getting hot right now. But, I mean, sure enough, that four-game stretch from December 12th to January 2nd, Cowboys-Eagles, Cowboys-Eagles, and then finishing up with the New York Giants, another rivalry game. Right now, honestly, the Eagles or Washington, I feel like either team, they're on track to be a wildcard team, and especially with the amount of injuries that, that Washington has had to endure this year. Ryan Fitzpatrick with the hip injury, John Bostick, one of their linebackers, being done for the year. You know, I, Logan Thomas, their tight end. Chase Young, NFL Defensive Rookie of the Year. Torn ACL, he's done for the year. When I look at Taylor Heineke, when I look at Antonio Gibson, when I look at Scary Terry McLaurin, Ricky Seals-Jones is another one, and you look at a, at a Seattle team that is just reeling right now, believe it or not, folks, as much of a, of a believer as I've always been in Russell Wilson, Pete Carroll, and the Seattle Seahawks, I'm taking the Washington football team on Monday Night Football. So just a quick recap for Week 12 in the National Football League. I'm taking the Tampa Bay Buccaneers over the Indianapolis Colts, New York Jets over the Houston Texans, Philadelphia Eagles over the New York Giants, Carolina Panthers over the Miami Dolphins, New England Patriots over the Tennessee Titans, Cincinnati Bengals over the Pittsburgh Steelers, Atlanta Falcons over the Jacksonville Jaguars, Los Angeles Chargers over the Denver Broncos, Green Bay Packers over the Los Angeles Rams, San Francisco 49ers over the Minnesota Vikings, Baltimore Ravens over the Cleveland Browns on Sunday Night Football, and for Monday Night Football, the Washington football team 
over the Seattle Seahawks. And then looking ahead to Week 13 in the National Football League, Thursday Night Football, the Dallas Cowboys at the New Orleans Saints. I'm definitely taking the Dallas Cowboys with the quarterback issues that we talked about on today's show with the New Orleans Saints. You, he, you know, Mike McCarthy, it sounds like he wants to give Ezekiel Elliott some rest with the knee injury that he's been dealing with. Tony Pollard, we saw how explosive he was early on in that game against the Raiders on Thanksgiving. So, I mean, really, the, the time is now for the Dallas Cowboys to bounce back after such a hot start and falling to 7-4. and four. So that will do it for episode 84 of Jake's Take. I appreciate you guys tuning in. Be sure to tune in next Saturday for week 13 in the National Football League. And also Thursday is the NASCAR Cup Series Awards Ceremony in Music City, Nashville, Tennessee. Have a great weekend. Y'all take it easy.